0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: So you need to have a little bit of that backstory. So with that in mind, let's now pick it up at verse 5. No angel, the water was stirred up, wasn't stirred up by any supernatural action, perhaps a lot by just regular action. The point still being is, it didn't work. Verse 5, it says, and a man was there who had been ill for 38 years. Now if you want to do something for a moment while I'm speaking, why don't you in your own mind count back 38 years ago to today. Take today, go back 38 years and say to yourself, what happened in my life, 38 years, that could have been so tragic that I would have been helpless and hopeless today and I've had it for 38 years. What is interesting when I study this passage and the next miracle we'll talk about in the future is that the man that was born blind, this one says he was lame for 38 years. I'm coming to the conclusion that this person probably could walk. Somewhere along the line, he lost his ability to walk where the other person never could see, was born blind, never knew what colors were, couldn't see anything. So this one seems to even be more pitiful in the sense this person might have known how to walk and run and jump and play and do all of those things. I don't know how old he was, but at some point in his life, he became lame. So there's that hopelessness to know that, man, I had it better than I have it right now. And not only am I completely paralyzed, I can't even get to this water. Now, you know what that tells me? It tells me that, he says, other people could bring people to the water, but I had no one to bring me to the water. So not only has he been a cripple for so many years, he had no family, he had no friends. If he had no family, no friends, and no way to get around, I'm wondering how he even ate. I wonder how long his fingernails were. I wonder what his hair looked like. I wonder what his beard looked like. I wonder what he smelt like. I wonder what he looked like. Can you imagine? Here's this pitiful man, and Jesus coming from up country, comes down into Jerusalem, comes up to the, the area where Bethesda is, and he picks out this one man in the midst of a place that's loaded with people. Now, what I'd like to say to you is this. This room is loaded with people. I don't know how long you've been carrying your helplessness and hopelessness with you. Some of you, it's been a, a burden for a long time. But I want you to know that the Lord is speaking to you right now through this message. I cannot promise that you'll be healed. I cannot promise your relationship will change. I can't promise that you're going to win the lottery. But I can promise that Jesus will transform you, whatever you're going through right now, to become everything God wants you to become, no matter how long you carry that, no matter how hopeless that you feel for 38 years. Well, let's go on now. Pick it up, if you will, at verse 6. How in the world did Jesus make this possible? Well, look what Jesus did. This is Jesus' part. It says, when Jesus saw him, would you mark that in your Bible? I like that. He saw him. For just a moment right now, I want you to remember the verse in Hebrews that says that everything is open, here's a phrase, and naked before him whom we have to do anything. That means God is looking right at you right now. He's looking at your checkbook, he's looking at your doctor's report, he's looking at your broken relationship. He's looking at the hopelessness that you have with your family, your ministry, your job, that sense of, will I ever get over this? Will it ever get better? He's looking at it right now. Now, when I was a kid, I used to get real nervous. When my grandmother died, I asked my mom, and I said, could grandma see me? And my mom tried to be real kind and say, oh, yes, grandma, she knows everything you're doing. She can see you. I was so scared because I didn't want to take a shower then. I was afraid my grandma could see me buck naked in the shower. And some of you might feel, well, God can see me like that. I want you to know God saw you before you were ever born. And he wanted you to be born. And he does have a wonderful plan for your life. But it's his plan for your life, not ours. So he saw you. And it says he saw him lying there. And then it says, and he knew him. I like that. He knew his condition. Now, some version of your Bible says he learned the condition. In the Greek, the word learn is not the best term because it sounds like Jesus was stupid and so all of a sudden, somehow, the information came to him. I could never buy that with the voluminous amount of theology and scripture that would tell me that God is all-knowing. So he knew everything ahead of time. So I don't believe he learned that the guy was laying there like he heard it from a buddy or one of the disciples told him or he asked about, where is this guy? I know all along he knew right where he was. And here's what I'd like to say to you. The Lord knew you in your mother's womb. He also knew you in His mind before He placed you in your mother's womb. He knew everything that brought you here so that you are here listening to my voice today. He knew everything about it. Now some of you might feel like you're in a helpless, hopeless condition. And I hope you can humbly say this. And I hope we all could. That you might be there because of wrong, disobedient, rebellious choices that you made. And now you are in the consequences of it. And you're asking God to remove these things because you're hopeless in these consequences. You might feel that way. The Lord knew that too. And it's just possible that he allowed you to go into the condition for 38 years, or 38 months, 38 days, or maybe just 38 minutes, and that you're in this hopeless, helpless condition. And at that point, he allowed you to come to that so you'd hear a message that for the first time in your life, you are so broken that you are willing to listen to the words of Christ and properly respond to them. I hope that might be the case. So he knows what you're going through, so don't waste the affliction, don't waste the suffering right now, use it, suck out of it everything you possibly can that will bring you to Jesus Christ and I'm going to tell you that you will be released from that helplessness and hopelessness in a way that God wants you to be. So we give up our expectations to him. So God is all-knowing but he's also very compassionate. Look at what else it says here in verse 6. He didn't only know he was in there a long time. He he said to him, Do you wish to get well? Now, do you think it's because Jesus didn't know what this guy wanted? No, I know with all my heart, he knew. But what he really wanted to do is to have this man respond. And to do that, he had to ask just the right question. Most of you know my testimony, a few of you may not. There was a time in my life that I was brought to a point where I said, God, I want to know what does it take to go to heaven when I die? I'd be willing to walk across glass if somehow, what is it that I have to do? Whatever it is, I will sell my soul, so to speak, to know how to go to heaven. One month later, Carol invited me out to the meeting. I heard the simple plan of salvation. I heard it was by faith alone. After the meeting, Carol just didn't thank you for coming and take me out with all the other kids. She knew that I needed to have an engaged conversation in a compassionate but a courageous way. And so she did, in a sense, what Jesus did. She asked me this question. She said, Stan, if you could know right now how to go to heaven when you die, would you like to know? She asked the right question. God knew about it. He knew I was helpless and hopeless and lost. A month before, I had a horrible surfing accident and I thought I was going to drown. So all this was coming together under God's sovereign plan. And she said... And then she said, did what that man say from the Bible about how to go to heaven make sense to you? Do I want to go to heaven? Yes. Did what he say make sense? Yes, it sounded to make sense. But it wasn't enough. She kept hammering me with a smile on her face, asking me questions to get me to the point that I would realize that I could do nothing to myself to have eternal life. So in a sense, God was speaking through Christ, or through Carol. Although sometimes you're like Christ. But, but speaking through Carol. That's a wonderful compliment, Carol. Remember, I gave that to you publicly. All over radio, all over the internet, okay? But at the same time, she'll be the first to tell you she's not like Christ, she's like Satan. No, she wouldn't say that last part. I said that. Let me go back to this. Get serious now for just a moment. But even through that, through you, God could be speaking to someone else. Could there be someone in your life right now that the Lord has used to prompt you with a question? Is this what you should be doing? Is this the very best that God would have from you in your life? Do you want to get well financially, relationally, spiritually? Do you want it to get better? God may be asking you in your own heart right now. I hope that be the case. But there was still a barrier between what Jesus asked and how this man responded. And this is the barrier that could have stopped this man from being healed. He gave his response. Would you like to know what it was? Here's how he responded. He gave his own response. He had his own way to do this. He answers by saying this, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. In other words, he was making an excuse. Yeah, I want to get healed. But in his mind, listen very carefully, folks. Listen, listen. In his own mind, he assumed, Okay, I want to get healed. Sure, I want to get healed. He didn't know about the power of God. I want to get healed, but the only way I can get healed is if I do it my way, which was to do the way that I've heard others that would get healed, by getting down into the water first to do this. Maybe he was hinting to the Lord, Lord, would you carry me in there? Lord, would you make sure someone got me there? Would you, some, okay, you want to do it, but do it my way. And here's what I'm thinking for you and me. Maybe some of you are to the point where you're ready now to come to Christ, but you're still hanging on to something of yourself and you want to solve your hopelessness your way. You want to read more books, you want to go to more seminars, you want to hear more speakers, you want to go to more, so to speak, religious meetings, you want to be able to figure it out by a late night comedian. I don't know where it's coming from, but in some measure you're still wanting to hang on to someone else that you think you respect or someone else who's not been distant in your life, someone else you think helped someone else. And you haven't really given up for the Lord. And by the way, Christians, you're sitting there and you're saying, Oh, pastor, be sure to tell them, I've got an unsaved friend that needs to hear this. And I want them to hear it. That's right. They're hanging on to something else. But how many Christians get themselves into a jam and they feel helpless and hopeless. And they say, okay, Lord, you can get me out of it. But they still want to get themselves out of it their way. Do you know one of the biggest lessons our kids had to learn? And our son, if he was here today he would publicly tell you that this was the lesson that took him 41 years to learn. I'm going to share his testimony in a moment, but here's what he would say. The hardest thing to teach our son was to obey us, not his way, but our way. Our kids came to a threshold where that they did finally want to obey us, but they wanted to do it their way instead of our way. If you know what I mean, nod your head. Do you have kids like that? They want to do it, but they want to do it their way or in their timing or with their system instead of our way. And so I just take that into Christianity. We too want to really honor God and serve God, but we want to do it our way, in our timing, with our people, instead of doing it His way. When I shared this story yesterday, Carol and I were on the phone with him, and we were going over this message, not to preach at him. He was just saying, "What are you speaking on tomorrow, Dad?" And he was asking for more material and all. That. I said, I'm, "I'm talking about the guy who's been, been lame for 38 years." He says, "Well, what about the guy who is lame for?" 40 years. I said no no no, it was he's blind for 40 years, but but lame, lame. 38. He said no no, 40. I said no, 38. He said dad, I'm talking about me. I've been lame for 40 for 40 years. Now all of our kids are going to have, you know, spurts of right with God then plateau and right with God plateau. How do I know that? Because I'm one of God's kids too and I have, you know, spurts as well. I hope that we don't try to do it our way. Notice what Jesus doesn't do. I have it in your notes. He doesn't offer to help him into the pool. He doesn't encourage him to say, Don't worry about it. Someday you'll be first. These are advice sometimes we do with people. Someone has a problem. What do we do? We offer to help them. We tell them don't worry about it. Someday it'll get better. Or we make them more comfortable where they are. Or maybe even argue with them about their theological inadequacies. And that's not going to work either. So what does Jesus do? So we talked about his knowledge, his compassion. Now you're going to see his power. This is huge. He then tells them, get up. I love that. Get up. Get her done. Get up. It's my kind of counselor. You got a problem? Build a bridge. Get over it. You know, that's my kind of counselor. Right? I'm sorry, but get up. And that's a command. That's a challenge. Do the things that are most difficult for you. Maybe some of you are saying it's hopeless in a relationship. And the Lord might be saying, you know what you need to do? Get up and go talk to that person again. Get up and go apologize. Some of you are wondering about your finances. Maybe for you it's to get up and get a job. Maybe for some of you it's get up and quit using your credit cards or get up and love God before you love mammon. I don't know. Maybe for some of you you're saying, I want to know how I can go to heaven. And Jesus says, get up and place your faith alone in me. The next it says, take up your pallet or mat. And Jesus is removing all the temptation to relax. He's taking everything away so that it's not there. Maybe for some of you, you've gotten up, but you're still laying back down again. You get up and lay down, get up and lay down, get up and lay down. Maybe for some of you, the reason you remain in this state of hopelessness or you're on this roller coaster ride is because one week you dedicate your life to the Lord. The next week, you have to rededicate your life to the Lord because you failed. And the week after that, you have to rededicate your dedication every rededication. Then after that, rededicate your rededication. And it's always up and down, up and down when he says, just leave that mat. Carry the mat, but don't get on the mat. Some of you, in order for you to get over that hopelessness, you've got to do it God's way that's going to sound so opposite because the the biblical way, the Christian way, is so different than the secular way. And then finally, he said here, walk. He expects there to be a change. So it's not just one step. It's a one-step decision, then it's a lifetime moment-by-moment walk. I make my first step and say, okay, Lord, I give it up for you. Lord, I'm going to trust you. Now, the rest of my life, I live a life for you not to get saved but because I am for those that have I am now looking to you and I'm giving it up as the Lord of my life as a believer so I take my step of obedience to you but now I'm going to walk in faith and in the spirit of God by the fullness of God and it's a walk in my life and that's why I have problems with all these faith healers that are out there because a lot of them say get up they walk and they stumble they kind of wiggle around a little bit and a month later you see them back in the same position they were in before we have to be very very careful for that I want to end by reading you something that really spoke to me because there are some of you that are going to listen to me today and you're going to say, but this man was healed. And you'll notice he got up and he walked and was on the Sabbath day and we'll talk about that next week. But for right now, I want you to listen very carefully because some of you are going to say, Pastor, I am going to, I am going to honor the Lord. I'm going to put him first in my life now. I'm trusting him. But does that mean once I trust him as my Savior, I will never have any more problems? I'd like to say it this way to you. Take this to the bank. When you trust the Lord, it doesn't mean you won't have problems, but it does mean now you will have a problem solver in your life. You want to take that to the bank. The other thing, some of you are saying, all right, I, I'm hopeless right now, but I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to do what He tells me to do. I'm going to do it with the right motive. I'm going to do it with His power, not my power. Does that mean now that everything's going to come up roses? No, no. In fact, even when you look at a rose, what do you have? A bunch of thorns on it as well. So you'll still have thorns. Maybe what will help you is to have the mindset of an old Puritan by the name of J.C. Ryle who wrote in the 19th century. And here's what he wrote. It was in a bigger article that he wrote called Sickness. It goes like this. It is a blessing quite as much as a curse. It is a rough schoolmaster, I grant, but a real friend to a man's soul. It exposes the emptiness and hollowness of what the world calls good things, sickness, and teaches us to hold them with a loose hand. The man of business finds that money alone is not everything the heart requires. The woman of the world finds that costly apparel and novel reading and the reports of balls and operas are miserable comforters when you're in a sick room. Sickness is a purifier to the heart. Surely I have the right to tell you that sickness is a blessing and not a curse, a help, and not an injury, a gain, and not a loss, a friend, and not a foe of mankind. I had a friend that went to youth group. He was paralyzed. And he said one time, he said, I could not walk. Now I'm walking with God. Another gal this dates me, some of you old guys will remember, so old, old guys, listen to this. A gal was beautiful. All she cared about was her wonderful beauty, how beautiful she looked. Cared about it so much that everywhere she went, every hair had to be in place, every eyebrow had to be plucked, everything had to be right. She prided herself on that, and she was a blood-bought, born-again, walking with, with the world Christian. Catch that, walking with the world Christian. So she went out in her boyfriend's boat and she sat in the back and it was in the old days when they used to have that little putt-putt motor on the back, the kind you'd wrap a rope around with a pull handle and you'd, and you'd do that and that flywheel would be spinning around. Now they have a big covering over it. You can't hardly even get in it. But back in those days, it was just spinning around. So they're going across this lake and while they're doing it, her hair got caught on that flywheel and ripped her, scalped her, took all of her hair off. She said, at one time, I was ugly. Now I've given my life to Christ. And I'm beautiful again. Let me read the rest of this and we'll close. He goes on to say, I earnestly entreat all sick believers to remember that they may honor God as much by patient suffering as they can by active work. It often shows more grace to sit still than it does to go to and fro and perform great exploits. Sometimes the greatest faith is when you're going through the deepest waters and you know you're not alone and you use it to bring glory to the Lord. Well, your greatest hopelessness and helplessness is not going to be finances and overcoming your debt. It's not going to be restoring broken relationships, as important as that is. It's not about getting a do-over when you've morally failed. Your greatest overcoming of hopelessness and helplessness is when you know you are hopelessly lost and you are helpless because nothing you do will get you into heaven. No good deeds socially, no good deeds religiously. You can't do nothing and you are just one heartbeat away from a Christless hell. And you go to him because Jesus now came to you and he says, get up and walk. He says, place your faith in me. Trust me. Me. Go against whatever you thought was your way and place it in me. I'm going to tell you, you then will have eternal life now, a home waiting for you and reserved in heaven for you and a relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords forever. Would you pray with me? With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you now just take a moment between you and the Lord And perhaps recognize that you are by the pool of Bethesda. And you've tried everything in the world, all the superstition, all the things that you thought might have worked, and what you thought might have helped with others. But somehow you're finding it's not working. And Jesus, now through this message, is looking right at you. And he says those simple same words to you Do you wish to get well? So now you have to respond. There is only one that's going to bring you out of helplessness and hopelessness. And that is, I want to get well. But I want to do it your way. And Jesus says, believe in me. Trust in me. Your sins, is what separated you from me. I now will pay that sin debt and put righteousness, my righteousness, on your account. Would there be anyone in here that would respond to the Lord when he says to you, do you want to be well? If the answer is yes, would you say yes to the Lord when he now says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved? When he says, he that believes on me has everlasting life. Is there anyone in here that would like me to pray for you? Because you're trusting Christ today. Now I'm not going to have you come forward, stand up. not going to have you do anything out publicly. I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand, but every head is bowed, every eye is closed. When I see that hand, I'm going to thank you for letting me know you'd like for me to pray for you. But me praying for you won't get you into heaven. I'm no angel and I'm not stirring up any water in your life. I'm just another person who himself went to the Lord. Because he's the only one that can make me well. So for you, is there anyone here today that would say, Pastor, I just did that. I said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't do anything to get into into heaven. But right now, I'm trusting Jesus Christ. Would you pray for me? I'd like to know that as I'm doing this, that you're there with me. Pastor, pray for me. Would you slip up your hand put it down? Is there anyone in here today that's doing that? Anyone at all? All right, Christians, for you, how about you for just a moment? Maybe for some of you, your healing is in another area of your hopelessness. Maybe you've kind of gone to the Lord, but you kind of do Him and a man thing, a woman thing, your own thing. And maybe right now you want to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I believe that you're the one who can bring full healing. And so, Lord, I'm not going to try to go my way. I want to go your way. And so, Father, I, I look to you to help me navigate through relationships, whether or not they ever get healed. I want to do the right thing. Whether my finances ever get totally out of debt, I still want to put you first with my finances. And Lord, I thank you that you've forgiven me of my sins. so today is is a new day with a new do-over in my life. And so Lord, I'm doing it your way. I'm confessing that sin. I'm laying down that mat. I'm getting rid of it. And I'm going to walk with you. How many of you would like to have prayer? Because the Lord really spoke to you or... Or maybe you know someone who's helpless and hopeless and you're going to come alongside them and read them this story about how Jesus wants to heal. And he will do it immediately. Is there anyone who would like to have prayer? Slip up your hand if you will. Thank you. Our gracious Heavenly Father, you know our hearts and you know where we are hopeless and helpless. And I thank you that this message, this event happened and was recorded and was brought to us at this very moment in our own life. Now, Lord, we want to walk with you. In Jesus' name,
0: amen. This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible.